Howdy, Rob Lee here, and I hope you're enjoying The Truth in This Art. It gives me great satisfaction to share stories about arts and culture, especially here in Baltimore. I wanted to tap in real quick to introduce a series of episodes dropping every Wednesday in June and July. Located in the heart of Baltimore, Station North was the first area in Baltimore to receive the state designation as an arts and entertainment district back in 2002. Spanning the neighborhoods of Charles North, Greenmount West, and Barclay, the Station North Arts District is a diverse collection of artists live work studios, galleries, gardens, graffiti, theaters, makerspaces, arts nonprofits, row homes, restaurants, and creative small businesses. It is driven by a vibrant, multidisciplinary, and evolving creative community that works to harness resources to preserve and enhance bold artistic projects and act as a coordinator, connector, and promoter for creatives, hoping to grow and build community in Station North. With this podcast, Station North is celebrating its 20th anniversary and its redesignation as an arts district. We're so excited to spotlight a sample of district-based artists to share more about their work, future projects, and how they make Station North a creative hub. Station North Arts District is now a proud program of the Central Baltimore Partnership. And now a quick message from uh, this month's presenting sponsor, the Station North Arts District. Happy Pride Week. Baltimore Pride 2020 hashtag together again is presented by the Pride Center of Maryland. In Station North, check out the free Pride Film Festival at the SNF Parkway Theater, including uh, Baltimore Living Archives, uh, Pride Elder Edition tonight, uh, Wednesday, uh, June 22nd, the 47th Baltimore Pride Block Party will feature over 100 vendors and stages at the Why Not Lot and Charles and 23rd with headliners Trina, Kiki Wyatt, and more. Station North Arts District is a proud program of the Central Baltimore Partnership. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today's guests are the director and the studio and program manager, as well as instructor for the Baltimore Jewelry Center. Please welcome Shane Prada and Elliot Keeley. Welcome to the podcast. We're good. Good. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm, I'm middling. I'm, I'm doing all right. Monday. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's, yeah, after a, after a long weekend of just kind of, it's one of those things when you don't have your normal setup over the weekend, you kind of do what you normally would do. And this past weekend was a departure from that. I was doing a little bit too much. I was like, oh, I have free time now to do some chores around the house. I'm going to buy blinds. I'm going to paint a little bit. And then it's just like, I slept like a crazy person all Sunday. I was like, huh, maybe less, less next time. <laughs> so uh, thank you both for, for coming on to the podcast. And I want to start off for those who are undipped and unfamiliar. Uh, could you both um, give us your, your vital stats? That's the background and um, share what the, the, the mission um, about the, the Baltimore uh, Jewelry Center is. Um, I'll start that. So I'm, I'm Shane, um, the director at the BJC. So we founded the Baltimore Jewelry Center in 2013 and opened our doors in 2014. So we're coming up on eight years in business. We are a nonprofit um, independent school for metalsmithing and jewelry. That's basically the best way to describe what we do. MICA, the Maryland Institute College of Art, had a continuing studies program in art jewelry and metalsmithing. had about a 22-year history. That program came to a close, and that's when we started the nonprofit. So we had um, 
We had a predecessor, which was which is a great way to start a nonprofit. Um, our main goal is just to provide um, low-cost, accessible education in metalsmithing and jewelry to Baltimore and beyond. We have um, opportunities for everyone from brand new artists or students who've never taken a class like those we offer to people who've been practicing jewelry making and metalsmithing for decades. We have classes, workshops, studio access. We also have a residency program and a kids and teens program and a workforce development program. And we have a gallery with an exhibition space. Thank we you. serve about 500 students a year and about 150 independent artists through our rental. Um, and we host about 10 resident artists a year for some more stats. Do you want to chime in? <laughs> Maybe something about our square footage or our space? <laughs> um, we have about th just a, a little over 3,000 square feet of studio space. And the majority of that is devoted to classroom space. Um, so when a when we have a person come in off the street and they say, what do you do? My answer is usually, the simplest answer is that we're a jewelry school. Um, cause sometimes people think that we're, uh, that we're like a retail space that we're something else that we're not. Well, and while we do have retail mainly what we do and mainly the reason pe people come into our space is to learn how to make jewelry. Um, and that's kind of what my draw was to, uh, the BJC. I had heard about it as a space. I was familiar with the co-founder, um, April Wood, um, who's a longtime Baltimorean, along with Shane, they founded the BJC. Um, and I moved here for the job. So my role is to support all of those programs that Shane just mentioned and make sure that the, the studio is running and stuff. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, I think it looks like you, you two are the people to talk to as I um, dive into having more jewelry on my fingers. Uh, people make fun of me. I start going to um, exhibition openings and my, my brother is like, every time I see you have a new ring on, what's happening? Like, what are you what are you transitioning into? What is what person are you becoming? Thanos? What's happening here? <laughs> so, um, yeah, but that's that's really great. And uh, um, education is is a big thing. It's like these skills that people don't commonly have. And you, at least I know I have the question, how does this get made? Where does this come from? It's not like we just have jewelry suddenly poof is there, you know, it has to have someone that's a metalsmith or someone that's working with these different, um, these different skills to bring something together. So it's good to be able to have this, this conversation. So, so what inspired the, the, the jewelry nonprofit? And I, and I think I got part of it with it was uh, it followed what was there at MICA. But what really what inspired it? What inspired that kind of focus to say, you know what, I want to work with this moving forward. This is where my, my energy is at. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as we mentioned, um, there was a prede predecessor with the BJC, the MICA jewelry program. And there was a really rich, uh, diverse community of artists and students who were involved in that program who wanted to continue to continue. So there was a big community, a level of a community support that was quite large, which is a wonderful way to start an organization. Um, but also it was coming at a time when um, MICA and other local colleges, um, Towson and the Corcoran, were closing programs that were similar. So there was definitely a vacuum and a need for, for programs like this. And then across the country, you've just seen over the past decade and a half, um, a lot of craft-focused programs are closing their doors. And uh, along with that, art schools are just 
increasingly expensive. Um, there just aren't many places where people can go and learn um, a new artistic or craft skill um, at a at a cost that you know is approachable. So it was really important to us to provide what we call an alternative to the university for people who want to learn and just dip their toes in, and also provide really accessible opportunities for emerging and um, like mid-career artists. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's again, you know, it just sounds like interesting. It feel, feels like you're, you're, you're motivating me. You're giving me the interest. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, what? I need to go take a class. I, I need to take a workshop. I need to be able to, you know, as I I'm start gifting people like jewelry I make that I feel like that's a thing. I feel like that's the thing I'm going to start doing. Totally. totally. So what was the, the draw to, to jewelry as a whole? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and what made you want to provide jewelry making opportunities for others? Um, cause you know, like I said, this is the first conversation I've had where someone's like, oh, I make jewelry. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think people are, more, um, they're, it, it's a little more common to hear maybe about like ceramics or woodworking or, um, you know, more artistic disciplines like painting and drawing, um, and jewelry, jewelry definitely, definitely exists in a, a world of like retail and of, um, you know, glitz and glamour and something that you think of as expensive. Um, and I think Elliot and I have very different um, approaches to this. I didn't come to art until I was an adult, until about 30. Um, and I came to jewelry making through that MICA program and just found it really compelling and quite frankly, transformative. I'd never thought that I wanted to to make things with my hands until I found it. Um, so for me, it was just a really, uh, marvelous educational experience. And I was in, I was working in education and, um, doing a lot of kind of craft work with kids. So it just seemed like a natural departure. Um, and in general, I think, you know, jewelry is pretty ubiquitous, whether it's just a, a beaded bracelet or an heirloom piece of jewelry. Most people own at least a couple of things, and most of those pieces have some sort of narrative tied to them. So um, it can be a, just a really compelling object to carry through one's life. So next one's for for you, Elliot. This is this is one I was on, I'm going to throw out there. Um, so I read that um, exploring different processes, often incorporating ceramics, drawing, painting, and collage work into your work, um, while maintaining and specializing the practice in, in metals integral to your work. It's just it's really a summation from what I read of what you're doing. Tell me about those different artistic crafts used in your work, like. Is there something you may borrow from ceramics in terms of technique that you're applying to to metal smithing? Speak on that a bit. I think um, my my training. I come from like a, a craft focused uh, program. I went to Appalachian State um, University in North Carolina, which there's a long tradition of uh, craft disciplines in that area, especially textiles, ceramics, and blacksmithing. Those are big in that area. But they all really exist um, in that region. Um, after leaving school, I was interested in um, pursuing something further in art and craft. And I had already kind of uh, tapped into a place called Penland School of Craft, um, which is a, a wonderful, uh, uh, it's like a workshop-based program. Um, They have a residency, they have a work exchange program, and I participated in a uh, two-year fellowship called the Core Fellowship Program. Um, So I was really, while I was there, I was really able to like learn lots of different um, craft media because they offer studios and workshops in 
woodworking, ceramics, textiles, jewelry, um, blacksmithing, all of it. I mean, there's, there's more that I didn't name. So that my background in craft, um, informs my practice in, in, in ways that, um, I, I can, I like to be versatile yep. in, in what I make. Um, and it's not always a technique applied in a different material, but it's almost always a, a formal concern or a, an approach to, um, assemblage, True. um, or like a completion of a, of a piece that, uh, that I'm, that I'm interested in. Um, and it's also the surfaces and the, um, textures that, that I find are like commonalities. Um, since, since I, I've been at the Baltimore Jewelry Center for three years now, um, and entering this job, I knew this would kind of happen. I knew that those other things would take more of a backseat. Those other practices would take more of a backseat because I was being more involved and more steeped in um, jewelry and, and metalwork. Um, so now my practice is more, even more so focused on metalwork. Um, I still, I still draw, I keep a sketchbook and yeah. I, um, I uh, have a painting studio at, at home. Um, but uh, ceramics, not as much, although I still, you know, I still refer to some of those forms in my work, but it's become like the more that I learn and share and teach about jewelry, those are the things that I'm uh, that I think about uh, most often. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Um, I think versatility is a, is a big thing. Where I I do this podcast, and this was something that you know I've only done for the last like three years, like interviewing people and trying to navigate through questions and trying to sound interesting. And and for and and before that, it was just you know just me kind of like shooting the breeze with buddies and and talking about like the latest and news. So it's like. I have that skill set there where I can hold a conversation and do research and build things out. But this is like a different skill set to be able to um, have a conversation and even moderate conversations. So it's, you know, it's, it's something that kind of serves the other thing a little bit. It's like, oh, OK, let me really think about the performance component of this. Or let me really think about it being um, for to a degree contrived. Um, Another podcaster I spoke to recently pointed that out to me. He's like, all of this is a show. He's like, never forget that. It's always a show. And um, that used to be something that was lost on me. But having versatility helped me be more aware of what I was doing, regardless of it being done with people I know very intimately, being done solo, or being done with people I'm meeting for the first time through a podcast like this tends to be. <laughs> um. So this is this is the next question I have because uh, I'm really interested in how how people do their work and how they kind of structure their day. So mm. when are you most productive? Like, is there a certain point in the day? Like, my best hours are first thing in the morning. I get up at six, I fry some eggs, and I get going and get the coffee and the whole thing. How do you plan out that day? What does that look like? Do you mean like work work or like our creative practice? Because we, I mean, you know, we both have. Our jobs at the studio, which are you know full time jobs, and then we yeah. have different creative practices. So, which do you mean? Uh, let's do both. Okay. Um, uh, you want to go first, Elliot? Sure. Like going yeah. first a lot. <laughs> um, I, in terms of my creative practice, um, 
I think a lot of people, they like, they take a lot of pride. And I think it's sometimes performative. Uh, they take a lot of pride in being a morning person. Um, and they're like, I wake up and I just get going. And that's really a, um, I think it's admirable if you are that way. Um, I'm definitely an early riser, but I am not productive in the morning. <laughs> if I have a day that I'm going and I'm planning on being in the studio, it's going to be several hours of like warm up and like preparation in order to like get myself to that, that creative space. So I might go to the studio for a couple hours, work on something else unrelated. And then after being there for a little bit, then I'm, then I'm ready. I've like uh, gotten myself into the, into the, the spirit or the, the mode of being in, in, in the, in the workspace. Um, so I, I really, it sometimes takes me a little bit. Um, and I think by the, by midday or later in the day, I'm, I'm ready to get going and I've got everything set up and I'm ready. I'm like in the headspace. So, um, yeah, some people can, some people can wake up and hit it, but, uh, uh I need, I need two or three cups of coffee sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would say I'm kind of the, 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 some people that Elliot's looking about, I'm, very good at like setting a schedule and just doing it. You know, um, I try to balance a, a couple different things in my life, like I have an athletic pursuit. So I have to keep a pretty strict schedule to fit it all in. Um, and at generally speaking, I can, you know, put a time on the calendar and, and, and be ready for it. Um, although like my making practice right now is uh, a lot of sewing clothes, which isn't as cre nearly as creative as what Elliot's doing. So, I think that that what he's saying resonates with me too. Like if I feel like I'm going to develop something from scratch, I can't necessarily just make myself do it. I do think practices like having a daily sketching time or like some sort of like rumination that that results in feeding your creative energy is, can be really useful. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, I have to be pretty structured or I will just like whittle my time away on only one thing. Yeah, I dig it. Um, during during the week, uh, I try to try to block out things during the week. So I'll look at all right, what interviews do I have? So I may have ten to twelve interviews that I'm doing in a week with a day job. So you're you're doing research, a couple hours of research on the guests, and if they're, I, I remember it was one uh, interview where it's like, oh, five of us are going to be on there. It's like, ah. so you know, you want to have at least something like pertinent to each guest that's on there, so they feel included in the conversation, and um, and they're able to you know kind of kind of say that position. So I, I'll do that research and that prep during the week, um, usually on a Monday. That that block of like from four to eight, maybe four to, no, sorry, sorry, that, that four hour block. So it might be from eight to 12 or maybe eight to one, I'm prepping. And that's almost how every week goes. And if it's not done, if I haven't like come up with questions and, and research on the guests for, let's say a Tuesday or the Wednesday, I feel like, okay, it's just right there lurking over my shoulder. You know, you got something to do, right? You know, you're behind, right? And it kind of affects the other things. So Luckily, you know, I had the time today to like prep for the rest of the week, but 
if I didn't have that time to prep earlier and then I had got on this interview with you all, I'd have been like, I'm behind. I'm behind on everyone. I'm not going to be able to get it done. Mm-hmm. So that's literally how how my practice kind of goes as far as the prepping piece. <clears throat> Do I have everything I need? And um, and have I communicated with the guests? And kind of what we were doing earlier, um, Shane, of like, oh, well, let me make sure this is updated. Let me change this around and make it kind of fit what we're aiming to do i feel like that's the completion part of it in terms of like in terms of the bjc though in terms of our professional work yeah um i 100 rely on the studio schedule um our class schedule to be able to block out my time um monday afternoons right now we have two classes scheduled that means that there's no one in the studio renting um that means that I don't have to be as available um, to people in the studio. So I can do something that might be more, that right, might require some more focus on my computer. Um, whereas other times, like Wednesday mornings uh, before our staff meetings, that's generally a pretty busy time um, and there's no classes scheduled. So I know that I'm not going to be able to focus on, you know, um, prep prep uh, preparing for that meeting quite as much because i know that there's going to be people in the studio that are going to need help they're going to want advice they're going to want to bounce ideas off of me or ask me a technical question so yeah i definitely structure my time around um a fluctuating studio schedule because my role is in my desk my office is in the studio itself so i work in and amongst um students and renters um so that's it's kind of um it's different by the season because the schedule is not consistent um but i can count on some busy times and and more relaxed times in that schedule those peaks um i yeah i see the same thing where you know, as I was saying, you have the day job, you have like different interests that that are there and you still want to do your creative stuff. You still want to be able to balance whatever social thing you have going on, especially if you're like taking grad school, you're trying to learn something, pick up new skills. I try to me- measure out time to watch wrestling. That's that's, that's what I do. Now, everything is blocked out. Um, but yeah, um, be- so I might work three days from the actual day job in the office and the other two days I, I have a little bit more flexibility where if someone's like, I really going to can get this door in the morning. All right, let's make your interview a Tuesday interview and do it in the morning to be able to capture it. And um, because if you're planning out stru- stuff and going with a calendar, having Calendly has been so great recently <laughs> to kind of schedule things. But beforehand, it was um, really me scheduling. And it's like, oh, you sure you can do this time? What about 45 minutes? Maybe 30. That'll work. And it just really wasn't conducive. So I definitely relate to what you were describing there, Elliot. Uh, yeah, those scheduling apps are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Zoom. Um <laughs> So uh, let's see. I got a couple more questions here before I get to those those great rapid fire questions that everyone loves. No, there's been no losses. No one's been upset. No one's walked off. I edited it out if they did. Uh, so from 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 both of your vantage points, let's say at, at the BJC, are there any unique like selling points to to what your jobs are? Um, are there quote unquote perks or what have you? Um, one of the perks for me would be able to talk to lovely folks like yourselves. But uh, what are the perks that you all have um, at, at the BJC? Well, an obvious one is that when I'm not on duty as the studio manager, I get to utilize a pretty well equipped uh, 
jewelry uh, jewelry studio. Um, so the overhead with metals uh, uh, metals equipment. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like jewelry making tools and stuff like that. That the overhead on those tools are pretty high, um, and it's you have to have space for it. Um, so I get to use that when uh, during my during my time off. Um, a perk of my job that I um, re- that I always talk about is the the ability to be creative um, on on the clock uh, on my job um, because. I'm a resource to many people that are coming to the studio. They're asking me for their for for my opinion on um, their current project, whether it's a design approach or it's a technical approach. I get to work through and talk with people about how can they accomplish that idea, and I can see that moment happen where they've like figured it out. Um, and they're they're having some success and they're feeling empowered about the thing that they're making. That's that's the biggest perk of my job is like giving people the creative jumpstart to like finish the thing or um, solve the technical problem that's been like weighing and weighing the project down. And um, I see that as a huge perk of my job. Um, I also get to like melt metal um, <laughs> at work uh, pretty regularly. Um and if uh, if you've never seen that happen, it's it's it never gets old. It's always <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say similarly, like just being able to work in a creative space. Like even if I'm you know writing a grant or making a spreadsheet, which are not super fun or creative, like there's just an energy that comes from being around people who are sort of in their happy place and creating something that brings them joy. Um, and it is a it's 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 easy to take for granted, but it's something I try not to take for granted. Um, also just being able to kind of keep our pulse on like what's happening in, in Baltimore in the art scene, but also more broadly in the art jewelry scene. That's really fun. Um, you know, we do a lot of networking and that is an enjoyable way to work most days. Um, what else? Just, yeah. Being immersed in art is, is a nice aspect of this job. And also because we're small, we, it, it can absolutely be stressful to have your hands sort of in everything and manage everything, but it's also really gratifying to have a lot of autonomy and control over the decisions that we're making. And we're not, we're not having to answer to an institution or having to do things just because it, there's like the status quo. Yeah. Legit. And that is, I think a natural segue to my, my final real question, um, which would be uh, describe the, the impact that, Baltimore, more poignantly, Station North has had on your work, like you're in the middle of an arts district. And obviously there's um, the artistic component and the nonprofit component, the education component all baked into the BJC. So so tell me about that a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really great to be in an arts district, in, you know, whatever arts district that is. But it's especially cool to be in Station North because it was the first arts district that was designated in the state of Maryland. Um, it was des- designated in the early aughts, which is right around when I moved to Baltimore. Um, so personally, it's just been really cool to see that neighborhood kind of grow and change and then now be part of it. Um, you know, I think there's a lot happening in that area and there's potential for so much more. It's really cool to be at the center of it all and also to have the opportunity to help other organizations and other art spaces that are kind of just getting off their off their off the ground. 
Um, we are pretty close to the train station. So we're more and more bringing in folks from DC. So that's pretty nice. I think there's something throughout all of Baltimore where there's always this vying for people to come in from outside of the city. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I've always loved central Baltimore. I think there's just a lot of energy in the area. So it's nice to capitalize on that. Um, we are close to a couple of schools, including the Baltimore Design School. We have a partnership with them. It's great to be near MICA. We get a lot of MICA students either during their time, but often post-grad as like interns. Um, yeah, that's kind of what's on my mind. Do you have anything to add, Elliot? I think the only thing I would add is the, like, the the MICA student connection, which we've seen more and more of recently. Um, we had uh, we had two recent interns who were MICA students and they were in the studio quite a bit, taking classes and also working with me um, uh, and, and my colleague, Jen, to um, you know make improvements in the studio. And one of them told me recently that they were like showing off something that they had made to one of their classmates. And they were like, where did you make that? <laughs> And they got to tell, they got to, we had created the perfect, like, um, ambassador uh, for for the BJC. They were like, you should come take a class at the Jewelry Center. And it's like, um, I think people don't think it, like you said, it's like, you can't believe you're talking to a jewelry maker, but um, you have to start somewhere. And this is like a really accessible place uh, to start that education. Um and art students definitely want they they have other skills in sculpture and um 3d design which are definitely uh they definitely apply in the jewelry studio um and it can so. be a natural i think follow-up to um you know a school program because there's a lot more independence and autonomy that they have in our studio but still a lot of support so we'll often see people kind of blossom into a new kind of maker in their space after after school which is pretty special so that's that's all of the real questions. And I say real because they're actually structured and you have them and you can prepare and all of that. Now it's time to just see how you think of your toes. I got I got three I got three questions. Um, it's, it's back and forth. We try to get them over as quickly as possible. But uh, these are my rapid fire. I'm thinking about calling them random fire because they're random questions. <laughs> uh, so I want to start off. Um, how how many pieces of jewelry do you th- would you say that you own? <laughs> Yeah, that's a little bit of a trolley question. I have a lot more than Elliot. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Oh, that is a tough question because I do a lot of trades with artists. And I would say somewhere between uh, 60 and 80 pieces of jewelry. I mean, that's a safe that's a safe number for me. And they're not all like. I know you hear, you hear that, and I'm like, I must be like dripping in gold and stuff like that. <laughs> the people that I know that are making jewelry are not using gold and diamonds and stuff like that. There's a lot of other materials and like um, semi-precious materials and stuff like that. You might see some of the pieces I collect and think like a kid made them. You know, it's not like contemporary jewelry is definitely not gold and diamonds. Um, I would say I probably have about 130. Would be. Um, a good guess. I recently reorganized some of it so that I can see it all. Yeah. But yeah, I collect several pieces a year, maybe many. <laughs> now, now I had to really feel like I got to catch up. I was bragging earlier about becoming <laughs> a ring guy. I have like like five rings. I'm hearing like uh, well, eh, sixty, a uh, hundred and thirty. Yeah. Nah, that's fine. Huh. All right. Um, I don't. Ha- I don't. I wear a really large ring size. Um, I, it's like the max for 
the standard ring size. It's a I wear a size 15 wow. ring, and um, a lot of people don't. They make they usually make like a between a six and a nine because that's those are the most common ring sizes. Um, and I've commissioned. I've, I've started collecting a couple of rings from people that I know. I've bought two recently, and I've got another one, uh, a commission from a friend of mine who does some engraving. So that's my new thing is rings because um, a size 15 is big. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun thing to make, and um, and I kind of have to – and I know lots of jewelers, so I can – Charge them more for it. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> There's more materials, yeah. It's more materials. <laughs> I mean, I just – I have like a nine. I'm at the max, and I'm feeling even – now I'm feeling like ring inferior. Thanks, Elliot. Appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, so – so here's the last two. Um, what is there a piece of advice you would give your younger self as it relates to your work? Like, you know, something that you've learned over the last however many years, let's say like, you know, three for you, Elliot here that you've learned. And you're like, you know, what? I wish I could have told myself this when I was younger. Maybe that would, you know, make it a little bit easier for me. I think I would say that relationships and connections are just like so much more impactful than so many other things that you might assume will be, you know, like your education means a lot, but who you know and in what context and what, how you utilize your relationships um, can really help drive the rest of your career. And that's a tough, that is a tough question because it's always like, it's much easier to know. It's easy to say how you would do something differently. And I always think like, Oh, I wish I had focused more on learning one type of skill or this thing over that thing but um yeah i mean i hate to just jump on what shane said but like use your network um because of where i went to school and because of where i because of who i know i have a pretty wide network um and i i i i, I use it more now because i know that i have to um but that is such an important skill to um the people that are going to help you out the most are the ones that know you. Um, they're going to be able to help you and give you advice. And yeah, use your network. Okay, here's the last one. Here's the last one. Uh, this one I thought was funny because I, I, I thought of like juggling earlier. Uh, what would you say the most useless talent you have is? <laughs> it's like something you do very well, but it's like this isn't practical. This isn't practical at all. <laughs> No, I don't know. I can't juggle. Do many things very well. Um, (laughs) I really like diagramming sentences. Nobody wants to hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) Love to hear it. (laughs) I can be a large hand model, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's. I I mean, I'm moving right now. I can pack the trunk of a car better than anybody. Yeah, Elliot's very good with like. Spatial reasoning, and like which I guess is pretty idea. useful, but it's like, but it's not usually know. on a job description, right? Like no, no, true, true. Yeah, it's like you need help with your stock room. I got you. It's like this. You're yeah. an accountant. Like, what are you? <laughs> like, what are you saying? Oh, uh, so. Thank you. Thank you both for coming on uh, to the podcast and sharing with me. And um, I want to invite you to um, share anything that you feel like we, we didn't touch on um, briefly in this podcast and um, plug, plug away, website and all of that good stuff to have the fine folks check your, your stuff out and, and get into a workshop and all. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would say that. And also our gallery space, it's like super accessible. Just drop by for five or 10 minutes and see what we're doing. We're open seven days a week and we love visitors. Yeah, we have an open door policy that you don't, there's no need to make an appointment or anything to come and see it, the show in the gallery. Um, you can see anything that we have going on, whether it's in the classroom or the gallery or, um, you know, a different, a, a free program that we might be offering. Um, that's all online at baltimorejewelrycenter.org. Um, I think um, you can follow us on Instagram. It's Baltimore Jewelry Center. Uh, th- those are the plugs. Hey, there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Shane, thank Elliot for coming on to the podcast. And I am Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around your city. You just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.